My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode of All the Hard Things. Super excited and honored to get into this episode today with Paris. So Paris is an advocate. She is also a podcast host um, for Live Well Bipolar, um, the podcast, and super excited to get into it today. Um, I know the last episode that we did on bipolar and its relation to OCD was super, super helpful for people. Um, so Paris, if you could just introduce us a little bit, let us know. Um kind of how you got into this advocacy work and um, just give us a little bit of, of your backstory before we get too far into it. Yeah, of course. So I got into this work really just from, you know, my, my own experiences too. And of course, you know, like studying this in school, you know, going through like psychology with like your college background and stuff, but really, you know, getting the diagnosis and having gone through a misdiagnosis and then actually getting on track with, you know, receiving the diagnosis of bipolar and then really wanting to understand more about it, do more research to really kind of overcome a lot of the obstacles that I kept finding myself running into a lot of the same patterns and a lot of the same things that were just coming up for me. So really, you know, that's how I ended up finding you, you know, getting connected on Instagram, you know, being able to find so many other people out there who also you know, do all this great work to share what's worked for them, whether it's for their own selves, work they do with clients, people one-on-one, -on -one, what they've seen that's the most effective. So, you know, getting connected and just really starting the podcast, that's what I would say probably is like one of the biggest things that helped me like kind of facilitate in like the healing journey of launching the podcast. So it's Live Well Bipolar. It was actually originally Crooked Illness back in February of 2020 when I first launched it, which is actually the name of my book that I, that's where I got the idea from because I was in the process of, writing my story, kind of documenting it, but I never, ever, ever saw myself publishing it. I just wanted to kind of get started, just kind of take notes of different things. And then I, it wasn't until doing the podcast and interviewing so many different people who have shared their stories and really seeing like the impact that's had on other people, you know, being encouraged, okay, you know, do this and then just do it and then not continuing to hesitate on it. So really, you know, launching that. So, you know, having the book out there, having the podcast, and then really having the opportunity to connect with so many other people who also share their stories with bipolar and their history with their diagnosis, what things haven't worked, what things have worked. So that's really helped me just be able to like connect with these people. So that's kind of a little bit of the background of how I got started is, you know, really struggling myself when I was 19 years old, when I was hospitalized, that's when I got my diagnosis of bipolar one. But before that, when I was 16, I was first diagnosed with depression and then from that point, you know, going back, I was 23 when I actually ended up going back and working at the same exact um, hospital where I was a patient at. So being on both worlds of going from 
being a patient in the system and then going back and working and then really seeing what, what, what things make a difference for people. So just continuing this work and then even being able to talk to people like you. So that's really what I love doing. That's incredible. And so inspiring. Like it's crazy to imagine like that as time passes that we're able to, you know, recover and kind of take all of that in and then really turn it back out in a way that's, you know, very values driven to us, but hopefully helps other people. I'm curious if you can go back to like what that was like when you were 19, like that hospitalization process must've been so scary and so difficult. It's just like the lamest word that I could probably use, but (laughs) yeah, if you could talk about that and your hospitalization and everything that went into that, that would be awesome. Yeah. So going up to that point, that was at 19 years old. So literally before that I was first diagnosed with depression. So 16 from, so about like 16, 17, 18, and then turning 19, I was, I would have different psychologists, different psychiatrist appointments. And then I was put on all kinds of different medications, tried different kinds of things. And really what I started to notice was, you know, looking at my own family history, which was never really discussed. So I never really learned that there was like history of bipolar in the family and then trying to learn more about that and just really thinking, okay, this might be something that I feel like I'm struggling with. Cause I was always having more of the depression side. And then I didn't experience any of like the ma- mania until 19. So that was, I remember working, I was like working two jobs. I was in college and I remember telling this to, um, this, the psychiatrist that I was seeing and he was like, no, there's no way, you know, you could have bipolar because, you know, you're, you're working your two jobs, you're getting good grades, you know, you're doing all these, I don't see anything, you know, from what you, you, you're looking like or sharing that really shows that. But I was always, I just felt like I was like, well, I'm constantly going, 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 I can't slow down. Like I barely sleep. Like I'm just constantly like pushing and I'm like getting into like, just with my relationships that are like always on edge. Like I remember being in a relationship and just constantly arguing and fighting and having a lot of like like drama and stuff in my life at that time. So I would just like, I just felt like no one was really hearing me. So what led up to the hospitalization is I remember that day, it was right before Christmas. I remember actually calling my last appointment that I had at my psychiatrist. I remember like leaving, like just like storming out. And then I remember my parents like later that night were like, Hey, like, here's a list of, you know, other options we could look into. And I, and then I just like, you guys aren't listening. Like, I feel like something more is going on. And then I remember actually throughout the course of that day, I think calling the police on myself, I think up to nine times that day. And then finally being like, they came and then it was an involuntary hospitalization first and court order treatment, bipolar one diagnosis. And then from that, I was transferred to the hospital and I was there for about two weeks because that was like the minimum stay that, that you that they had for you while you're on that, then you, then you leave and then you're on outpatient. So you're going to a clinic for a year. And then after that too. So that's kind of what it was like for me, but the scariest part for me was just being put into that because I was just trying to look for answers. I was just like, I, I was like, something's going on. This isn't right to like be constantly like moving at such a fast pace. I can't slow down. I'm like always getting you know, so much more like very, very irritable, but I wasn't taking care of myself either. I didn't understand anything of, you know, a supportive network or plan in place. I didn't have any kind of background on anything that I could do. I just was like, something's going on. I don't know what it is. Like I'm trying to pinpoint it. And I just feel like it's not being addressed until I finally was like the one who landed myself in there, which was really, really scary. But I feel like that's exactly where I needed to be to really 
start to realize I need to make a lot of changes to my life and cut out a lot of things, which, um, we can definitely get into like a lot of the changes that I had to, had to really make after that point. Yeah. I have so many questions, but yeah, I would love to know, (laughs) like what changed for you in that treatment process? Like I have worked with people at an inpatient level, obviously it was for different conditions. There's a lot of comorbidities as well, but not all of them leave feeling great and like want to give back and like eventually go back to work at that location. Right. So like, Mm -hmm. what do you think it was about that experience for you? Like what really stands out as being something that helped you transform the way that you, you know, how you were feeling? Um, and yeah, what do you think was so just like different and important about your experience there? What did you learn? Yeah. So I would say probably up until that point. So I got the diagnosis at 19. So probably 19, 20, 21. And then it wasn't until like around 22 or yeah, 20, right. When I was 23, when I graduated, when I was had all these different opportunities for different jobs, but I really, so that's when I started doing the work. I was like, okay, I want to, you know, I need to make some changes because all those years, like right when I came home, I just kind of went back to what I was doing because leaving the hospital, you know, like something that I was pretty surprised with was I thought I was like, oh, you just, you go into a hospital, you're there one time, you know, you might get something that can help or whatever that you would do. But I also realized too, at the time that I wasn't in the right mindset to like do the work and make the changes. I just was like, I had the outlook that everything was going to suck. Everything isn't going to change. You know, nothing's going to get better. This is, this is just the way that it is. And you need to keep living the way that you're living because a lot of the relationships, actually all of the relationships that I had were just really damaging and, you know, putting myself out in unsafe situations, like going out, you know, meeting different people online, you know, having a a group of people that I thought were, you know, close friends when I came out who, you know, just really liked, you know, that person who I was being, having that person being around who was like really, I guess, entertaining and would do things that you wouldn't typically see people doing or acting like. So I really had to start cutting back and put it, setting boundaries and like stop, stopping doing the things that I used to. So no more going out and partying and like drinking four to five times a week, you know, getting back into exercise. I used to run. I used to read a lot. I stopped doing all of that. So getting back into doing that, getting around people who, you know, wanted to getting introduced to personal development and working on yourself and learning about habits and different things you can change. So really shifting my perspective from all the things that I can't control, all the things that I can't change, all the things that went wrong from my past that were hurting to what can I do right now today to make a better tomorrow? Like what things can I control? Because my focus was at that time was only on that stuff. I didn't look anywhere to the future or different things like that. So that's a really, a lot of it is the relationships, environments, habits, things I was consuming, just completely like listing it all out on paper And then just seeing, you know, what, who can I get around or what can I do or what groups can I be part of just to like learn more. And that's really when I started, started doing that was around like 23. So 23, 24, 25, 26. So probably the past five years of like consistency with it. And I think that's the biggest word is consistency instead of I'll kind of start it and then I'm fine. And I'm just never going to continue to work on it. It's always a work in progress. So even when you kind of look at me now, like it might be like, okay, like how did you figure this all out? It's all about maintaining it, right? So maintaining that progress and kind of going back to the things that I've learned and like just continuing to stay consistent with that. 
Yeah. I work with so many people who are like, well, but how do you sit with uncertainty? How do you do this? Like, how do you recover from OCD? And it's like, they, I think sometimes they expect it to be like a golden nugget, like piece of information or like that they're somehow going to like stumble across an article that just like parts the seas and everything makes sense. And they suddenly are, are more optimistic, right? Like we, we aren't just going to like change how we feel right then and there, right? Like that it takes effort and it takes consistency. Like you're saying, I always um, tell the people that I work with that it's this recovery life and like all the things that you're talking about, it's kind of like an optical illusion. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't, you don't see it right away. And like everyone else tells you like, don't just keep doing it. Like just keep doing it. And eventually you'll see it. And you're like, I'm, I'm, I think you guys are crazy. Like I'm not seeing it. Like I, I just don't see it. Mm-hmm. But it's this experiential process of eventually you do see it and you're like, oh my gosh, there it is. Like I have been holding myself back this whole time. Like, yes, in the moment when I was in the trenches, I couldn't mm-hmm. just think more positively. But of course, in hindsight, you look back and you're like, of course, like all that negative thinking, like wasn't doing me any favors. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think we just need to hang in there and be consistent even when like, and we need to keep acting as though, even when we don't know that it's going to work out, like, you know, like, I I feel like it, it, you probably were taking a whole heck of a lot of chances and lots of leaps of faith and, you know, doing things, even though they didn't feel genuine, right? Like being compassionate with yourself and trying to look positively about things, even though it didn't feel genuine, but you still tried and you kept trying, Mm -hmm. I guess, like, what would be your advice to someone else who's out there? Who's like really stuck in that? Like, yeah, I just don't know how to answer people sometimes when they're like, oh my gosh, how do you do this? Like really big, important, like experiential thing. And they want like a really simple answer. Yeah. So I think something that helped me is I'm a very visual person. So I would take out, you know, a piece of paper and I remember writing out literally all of the triggers or things that were going wrong or things that would come to my mind and then starting to get into gratitude, which I thought was, I'm like, how is this going to help? Or like, you know, noticing these things or listing out these different things, but really looking at the big things that I'm struggling with right now. So at the time for me was the biggest ones were the relationship with my mom. So see like working on that, like seeing like, what could be, how can you recover and heal this relationship? And then also going through sexual assault and rape at a young age, like trying to talk through that, doing that, having a really, really bad experience. And then going back and finally being able to address that in therapy and like work through this and really change my view and my perspective on what happened and the relationships that were really damaging. So that's what I did. I was, I kind of just wrote out like, and then also other things too, that, you know, different things that you're dealing with. So like a lot of my stuff was just on really unhealthy relationships too, with like men. So writing out these different people who are in my life, why do I have them in my life? Like how do you feel when you're around these people? How do you, do you feel like you're able to, like, do you feel excited? What do you, do you feel bad? Do you feel, how do you feel? And I, that's when I really started to gain clarity on for so long, I would just allow years of abuse from different people. And I would just, you know, almost like you're saying, like have that optical illusion, but in, in my sense of that, nothing's ever going to change, or this is the way that you deserve to be treated, or you shouldn't be like, you shouldn't be able to ask for, different things of, and you're not going to be able to work past different things because these things are kind of your fault and just really having a really bad outlook on that. So I had to really get clear on all of that. So write out the relationships. What was I doing with my time going out? You know, why am I doing that? Kind of just asking why, why, why? 
and then get, and then also looking at things that I am excited for and, you know, and excited to continue doing. So literally going back and, you know, being able to help other people and working and being able to see, okay, here's something that they're dealing with. And, you know, what can I do to try to, you know, help them or try to, you know, be, be of some support, because that's something that I wish that I had when I was 19, you know, coming out, I wish that I could have had, you know, someone who was like, Hey, and I went through this experience myself. So really getting clear and writing out these different things, what do these situations, what are they, first of all, because that was my biggest thing is I didn't have any awareness. I I just was going, 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 and trying to basically run away from everything that happened by basically pa- packing on more things that were making it worse. But to me, I thought it was making it better because I'm forgetting different things or I'm moving away from it. So first for me, I had to really get awareness of what it was. Like, what am I doing? Here's the habits that I'm doing. Here's how I feel. And then setting the boundaries and saying, you know, blocking people and having those conversations of, you know, I can't have you in my life anymore. And I remember like starting a big part of that too, was starting to get into listening to different podcasts and then starting, starting my podcast and then inter- and then interviewing other people, having other people come on and share their experiences. And that's what really opened my mind up to the possibilities of healing and recovery, because I was only around things and people who were like, this isn't going to work, or you have, you're, you need to stay where you are. or Oh, it's not that bad. Let's just go out. And, you know, it was distracting and running away from it. So when you start to change your environment and get around other people who are in that same position as you, or have gone through similar things, what did you do that worked? And that's when you can start to fill up your mind with more of the things that are working, are helping and get that stuff out where you tell yourself, I don't deserve this. You know, this was my fault. I'm never going to be able to change really filling your mind up with those possibilities and getting it down on paper. I think too, what you're bringing up, like something that I teach a lot of my clients is the difference between, uh, problem solving and these compulsions that they're doing, right? Like oftentimes Mm -hmm. rumination, a lot of times people who have OCD and anxiety, as you probably know, right? Like they, tried to figure things out in their head. They tried to, you know, just in a, in a cycle in this vicious cycle, just try to figure things out relentlessly in their head. And what Mm -hmm. they don't realize is that they're actually, they're just focusing on the problem, right? They're just like, you know, digesting the problem in so many different ways. And from so many different angles, they don't actually try to take that next step of the actual solution, right? Problem solving is very active. It's very like, you know, I don't know if this is the best thing to do, but I'm just going to give it a try and I'm going to go for it. Right. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that's exactly what you did. Like that is such a, everything that you're talking about, it's such great examples of problem solving where you just try to do something different. Like you're throwing a wrench in the system. You're trying to do something different. It's very behavioral. You're, you know, very objectively looking at things, right? Like, what do I want to change? (laughs) Not Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, I'm so upset about this. It's like, okay, what do I want to change? How am I going to go about doing that? And then you make a selection and you go for it and you evaluate it based on trial and error. And yeah, I feel like that's just so different from rumination or these other like obsessive compulsive kind of rituals that people get stuck in. So yeah, problem solving, actual problem solving. That's so important. And I, and I know something that you, you know, you mentioned it, right? Like, this is what I wish I would have had when I was struggling and, and you know, by doing this right now, like you're going to be that person for somebody else. So that's why I think this is so important, but I know you feel really strongly too about like how people can support loved ones. Like if they have, um, 
bipolar or if they have, you know, any kind of mental health um, kind of concern. So uh, what would you say to people out there? Like if they know someone who is going through this or if they have a loved one who's struggling with bipolar, um, what can they do? What should they not do? And how can we just in general kind of work on kind of reducing the stigma that's associated with bipolar? Yeah. So I love that question. Cause I would say like the number one thing to do is just, you know, have is be there for support. Like I've had so many parents reach out and say, you know, whether it's like, Oh, my daughter or my son, or, you know, other people reaching out for someone else saying, Hey, this friend of mine, you know, shared this with me. Like that to me is huge. Like just wanting to learn, wanting to learn more about it, like wanting to educate yourself, whether it's from someone like me who has a diagnosis and, you know, has had history with um, a lot of struggles with bipolar and still today, what do I do now? So let me share that with you and just reading different books, right? So getting around more conversations, listening to podcasts, reading books and using social media for good, right? Like researching accounts, you know, looking up accounts with you know, bipolar, whatever you're trying to learn about. If you're trying to learn about more OCD or anxiety, searching those words and then connecting with those people. And, and then let also letting that person know that you're trying to support, you know, what can I do for you? Or what do you feel like you wish you had more of, or, you know, tell me about your, you know, your history or like just seeing where, what they're willing to share and just seeing what it is that they, what it is that they would like from you as, as someone to be part of their supportive community, supportive network. Cause I know for me, like a big part of that is just identifying who those people are. And, you know, I have people in my life that I didn't used to have that are now like those people for me. Right. So, you know, being able to go back and see, you know, whether it's a parent or, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, fiance, coworker, someone that you have, that you feel comfortable that you can talk about this with and say, here's what I'm going through. Here's kind of what I've gone through. And, you know, just see, you know, be there to listen and then, and then ask what you can do instead of kind of jumping to, okay, I need to do something. And that's what I would say to your question is what not to do is just to jump to like, I need to do something. I have to like, you know, do something I need to like need to do something. And then without even asking that person first, I would say definitely start there, you know, open up the dialogue and then really just start to consume more content on those topics that you're wanting to learn more about, you know, whether it's, you know, reaching out to different accounts or, you know, going to different support groups, like getting involved with NAMI, um, it's national Alliance on mental illness. They have different organizations all over, you know, um, the country here that you can get involved with, go to some classes, and just really learn more and just, you know, be curious, you know, don't feel like you can't ask the question or it's a stupid question or it's a dumb question, because honestly, like that's something that I wish that I had when I was, you know, first diagnosed people just asking me, you know, what was that like? Or, you know, even if it wasn't a good experience, you know, if I don't want to talk about it, like, what do you think would make a difference? Or what are you trying to work on? Just asking those questions. And then, you know, even letting them know, like, Hey, I don't know if this is a stupid question, but you know, I, you know, letting them know that you're there. So I would definitely so say those steps of, you know, getting, getting more information, connecting with the right people, not being afraid of asking the questions. And then also just, you know, getting around others who live and have the experiences with bipolar that you are wanting to want to learn more about. That's amazing. I love that you are like on the ball, like you have legitimate objective things that people can do. I love that because again, I think we can so often get stuck in the, how it feels, right? It just feels so hard. And, and we can talk about that all day, but if we want to change something, we're going to have to do something, right? We're going to have to 
you know, look at, look up this new website or, you know, do something different. Nothing changes if nothing changes. So I love all of that. I love all of your recommendations. I will actually reach back out to you and, and make sure that we have all those for the show notes. I want to make sure you guys that if you're listening, you can access those in the show notes. Um, so Paris, I know we don't have too, too much longer with you. I would love if you could wrap us up by letting uh, our audience know where they can find you, listen to your podcast. And I always like to ask my guests, why do you think it's important for us to do hard things? Mm, I love that. So I would first say to your question, why I think it's important to do hard things is because it's all about challenging yourself, but then giving yourself grace in the process of learning. So I would say that would be my answer. So, you know, wanting to learn more, right. Or it's a different, it's a new thing. It's a challenge, but then while you're in that process, being kind to yourself on the journey of doing that, doing something, cause you know, it's hard, it's not easy, but you're taking that first step to get started on that. So I would definitely say that of being curious to take the step forward. And then while you're on that journey of doing what it is that you're trying to do, being kind to yourself. And I would definitely say for you guys to connect with me, the number one place is on Instagram. It's live well bipolar. My podcast was actually formerly master mental. My account was hacked. So that's my new page there. So it's live well bipolar. Everything is on the page there. So you can just go to my account, send me a message in my link. I have all the where you can listen to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, all that stuff. My book's in there, Crooked Illness as well. Um, and f- always feel free to connect if you have any questions about anything bipolar or any tips or anything that me and Jenna talked about, feel free to shoot me a message. Um, and this has been awesome talking with you. I can't wait to continue to do more of these conversations and just really share this with everybody. Awesome. Thank you so much. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.